Bay Hills Community Church is pleased to have you join us as we continue our series, Bankruptcy. Today, Lead Pastor David Fossil presents us with the challenge of personal financial mistakes we make. Listen as Pastor Dave shares with us what's become a personal financial crisis in many households as he helps us figure out ways to get out of consumer debt. Well, good morning, Bay Hills. Grab the study guide that's in your program. I'm going to have most of the verses on the screen except for one, so if you want to grab your Bible too. I want to tell you a quick story that happened a couple years ago. A poor janitor at First Security Bank in Boise, Idaho, made a horrible, horrible mistake. Uh, what he did apparently is uh, as he was cleaning uh, one particular evening, he accidentally took a box of checks and shredded them. These checks were valued at 840000 He cut them up into quarter-inch shreds. Apparently, it was a, uh, a county nightmare because not all the checks had been recorded. They didn't know who had paid who and what had come out of what account. They were going to record them. So it was an absolute disaster. They didn't know what to do. Their solution was to hire 50 bank employees. They worked for two and a half days straight. And all they did is piece by piece, like a puzzle, they put the checks back together, right? I felt horrible for the janitor if you made that mistake. Now, that's one financial mistake that we can kind of think about. And, but what I want to do is, about, is talk to you about this morning personal financial issues and mistakes that we make that are potentially getting us into a lot of trouble. If you're just joining us, we're in the middle of this series called Bankrupt, the ABCs of Financial Freedom. You can go online and listen to last week to kind of set the foundation for where we're going. Uh, but, but, but I want to share with you an issue that has increasingly become a major and a significant financial crisis personally, not just only as a government, but personally. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. Let's put the first slide up there. Let's look at some bullet points. One of the things we talked about last week is that we are by far, it's not even close, the richest, wealthiest uh, generation in the entire history of mankind. And yet, 55% of U.S. households are living paycheck to paycheck. Literally, no matter how much we make, we're getting coming to the end of the month and there's nothing left. The reason for that is that even though we are making a ton of money, second bullet point, the average American spends a dollar twenty five for every one dollar that is earned. So we are literally spending twenty five percent more than we make. We've learned this from our parents. We've learned this from our government. We've assumed, well, if the government's doing it, then certainly we can do it. What we don't realize is at some point in time, it's going to all come crashing down. You can't live this way, not as a government, not as a family. Now, how do you pull this off if you're only earning a dollar? How are you spending a dollar twenty-five for every dollar earned? Well, it's the next two bullet points. The average American has over $38,000 in consumer debt. Now, let me make sure you understand what consumer debt is. This is on depreciating items. So our home is not included in that debt. Because I know our home values have gone crazy in the last decade, but our, our values of homes are increase in value over time. Consumer debt are items that decrease in value over time. So that $38,000, that's the flat screen TV. That's the furniture that we got. That's the cruise we went on last summer. That's the car that we're paying payments on. Items that are depreciating in value. Average $38,000 per family. If you, if you then look at the next one, the average credit card debt or person who has a balance is 14517 I don't think you realize, in 1970, only 15% of the American population had and used a credit card in 1970. We are the first generation that actually thinks it's normal to buy everything on our credit card. First generation that thinks that way. And what's resulting, the, the primary issue is not that we use it. Some of us use it for convenience sake. The issue is we have a balance at the end of the month. A, a resulting in a, a, a now $14,000. It has come to the point that 30% of Americans believe they will always be in debt. 30%. This is a continuous issue and a continuous problem. The biggest and the scariest one is that last one. The average family is three weeks away from bankruptcy. 
So if your financial house fell apart today, maybe you lose a job or there's a crisis, the average family is three weeks away from bankruptcy. Three weeks away. Folks, the, the issue isn't how much we make. The issue is how much we spend. We don't have an income problem. We have a lifestyle problem. And it is resulting in insurmountable, overwhelming amount of debt. Of debt. Now, you know, I, I have this series planned on finances. And there's so many things I want to share with you about uh, generosity and giving and, and, and spending things and, and investing things and, and saving. And the Bible has a lot to say about it. But the, I realized very quickly, I can't get to that until we deal with this issue. Because so many of us are getting to the month. We don't have anything left. We don't have everything left. That verse in Proverbs 13 is an interesting verse. One man pretends to be rich. What is that talking about? It means that we look at friends of ours. We look at family members of ours. And we think, oh my goodness, they must be doing really, really well for themselves. Look at the clothes that they, 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 they wear and where they buy them from. Look at the car that they drive. Look at the neighborhood that they live in. Look at the size of their house. Look at the vacations that they go on. Look at all the toys they have in their garage. They must be rich. And the writer of Proverbs says, no, they're only pretending to be rich. In reality, all those bullet points are true. And they have nothing. From a net value standpoint, they have nothing. You've heard it said there are three kinds of people in the world. The haves, the have-nots, and the have not paid for it yet. <laughs> and way too many of us are getting stuck in that last step. Now, now um, I just want to just say up front, this week was a hard week for me to prepare. Because what we're going to cover is not necessarily easy material. But I want to make sure you understand. If you leave here today feeling discouraged and feeling guilty, I will not have done my job. I will have failed you. If you leave here today better informed and motivated, finally understanding what God has to say to us about certain areas and saying, I, I think I can, I can pull this off, then I will have done my job. I'm going to share some things with you that I think are going to be very, very helpful. The first, I think, is going to be eye-opening, though. Look at your study guide. The first thing that I want to talk to you about is why the Bible frowns on debt. It frowns on it. Now, I'm going to get into what God is thinking about uh, us when we bind things on credit and we're putting things and our debt is going up. But what I want you to understand, there's four things the Bible says about why God frowns on us buying things on credit and increasing our debt. The first thing, if you're jotting down notes, is that it enslaves a person to the creditor. Notice what it says in Proverbs 22, 7. The rich rule over the poor. Uh, we all know that kind of, you know, that's been true for all generations. But then it explains exactly what it's talking about. The borrower buying things on credit and having debt increasing is a slave to the lender. And what the writer of Proverbs is saying is you don't realize you don't just have one job. You, you know, you're working the 40 to 50 hours, you're working at the hospital, you're working at the school, you're working at the shop, you're working at Chevron, you're work, wherever it is you work, 40 to 50 hours, that's not the only job you have. You also have four to five part-time jobs. Four to five part-time jobs where you're trying to increase the value of that corporation. Some of us are, are working part-time for Visa Corporation. Others of us are working part-time for Sears Corporation. Others of us are working part-time for Toyota Corporation. And it goes on and on and on and on. Because we've got all these payments with them for items that we've purchased. And we don't realize we're not getting anything else from it. They're the ones that are getting richer and richer and richer. That's what the writer of Proverbs says. And we get to the point where, where because of our debt, we're not able to do certain things we would like to do. We're not able to go certain places we would like to go. We're not able to do certain things with our money that we would like to do because we've got this stack of bills or stack of payments. We're slave to our bills and to our payments. The other thing, another thing that the Bible says is it undermines joy. It undermines joy. Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 7. I don't know the last time we've read a verse from Habakkuk. Look what it says. Suddenly your debtors will take action. They will take action. In other words, at some point in time, they're going to call in what you owe. Right? Um, normally it's uh, the date is on the bottom of the bill. And then it says they will turn on you and take all that you have. Now this isn't necessarily just financially. It could be financially, but it also could be emotionally. Sometimes that is more devastating than the financial toll it takes. They will take everything you have. They will suck the life literally out of you. And notice what it says. While you stand trembling and helpless. 
Can I ask you a question? Be honest. Have you ever experienced stress because of your bills and payments? Have you ever looked at the bank statement, what you have, and looked at the bills and put them side by side? Started to sweat? Be concerned? Be worried? Have you ever felt pressure to pay up and not had enough money to pay out? This is a common phenomenon for us. And this is one of the reasons I wanted to talk about this series. Because if there's anything that creates stress in our lives, finances is one of the ones right at the top of the list. You do know the number one cause of divorce in America. Number one cause. You know what it is? It's money. It's money. And here's how the argument goes. I love her. I love him. I love our family. But we start arguing about the bills and about the spending and about what we're doing because of the things that we've bought and we now have to pay for. It's the number one cause in America for divorce, finances, conflict over spending. It's, it's a literally stealing the joy right from our very own marriages because of things and items that we're purchasing. Now, this may surprise you. The, the, the third one, the Bible says it's not financially wise. It's not financially wise. I, I don't know if you know this about me. Maybe some of you do. Um, I don't have a Bible degree from college. My de- I have a business degree. Um, but let me also say, um, I am not your financial advisor, nor do I have any desire to be. I'm not going to give you any tips on stocks. I'm not going to pull my calculator up e- out, even though I know how to use it. Um, that's not my role. I'm your spiritual coach. I'm your pastor. And what I want to help you understand is that very interestingly, this book does pull out a calculator. This book does say what you need to understand from a purely business standpoint, from a purely numbers financial statement standpoint, is that buying on credit, carrying debit is a bad financial decision. It is unwise. You don't want to do it. Here's what Deuteronomy chapter 28 verse 12 says. To to God's people, the Lord will open up the heavens, the storehouse of his bounty to send rain on your land in season and to bless all the work of your hands. I hope you believe that. I hope you believe that God wants to bless the work of your hands. You're going to work 40 to 50 hours and he's going to take that and try and multiply that so that you are satisfied, fulfilled and your needs are met in life. He wants that for you. And then he says to his people, in this case, the Jewish people in the Old Testament, he gives them a hint on how to do that. You will lend many to many, uh, you will lend to many nations. Okay, here's one way we're going to make money. If someone wants to borrow to buy something, we'll be there available to lend them money. You can't change, uh, charge them exorbitant interest. That's called usury, but, but we will be there. That's going to be one of our business principles. But then he adds, but you will borrow from none. I don't want you to borrow from anybody. Why does he say that? Why does he say that? I don't want you borrowing from anybody. It's not financially wise. It's not good money management is what the Bible says. This, this may be a good time to ask the question. Let me spend a little mi- a minute on here. Is it a sin to buy something on credit? Is it sinful to go into debt? Think about that for a moment. The answer is no. What I'm talking about this morning is not a moral law. It's a biblical principle. You understand the difference? Moral law versus biblical principle. Now, having said that, we can't wiggle out too quickly. Because if you and I keep violating principle after principle after principle after principle over and over again, at some point in time, we may cross the line and it may become sinful. Let me give you an example. If someone comes up to me and says, is it sinful to eat fast food? I'm going to say no. You want to go to McDonald's, go to McDonald's, you want to wherever you want. That's fine. It's not sin to go to McDonald's. But if you tell me that that's all you eat or that's what you mostly eat, well, now I'm going to grab my Bible and I'm going to show you verse after verse that says you and I are to take care of our bodies. We're to try and be healthy with our bodies. And you don't have to be a a scientist or nutritionist to know that fast food isn't really that nutritious. It's not really. So if that's all you're eating, uh, you probably cross the line and you are into sin territory. So now let's apply that same principle to this topic. Is it sinful to buy one thing on credit? No. Is it sinful to buy the second item on credit? No. Is it sinful to buy the third item on credit? Probably not. Is it sinful to buy the fourth item on credit? 
I'm not sure. Is it sinful to buy the fifth, the sixth, the seventh, the eighth, the ninth, and the tenth thing on credit? Probably. So no, this is not a moral law. It's a biblical principle. But if you keep violating it over and over and over again, at some point in time that you have to figure out with God, you cross the line. And now it's a moral issue. But let me explain to you why it's not financially wise. By the way, 1910 Sears catalog on the front cover of the Sears catalog. This is their statement. Buying on credit is foolish. Buying on credit is foolish. Let me give you an example. Why I'm going to give you an example that while you may have never done, it'll help make a point. When you and I have a credit card bill and we carry a balance, the credit card company or the store will tell us what our minimum balance is. Sometimes we pay a minimum balance because that's all we have to pay, right? You have to pay that minimum balance. Ideally, you don't want to have any balance. Let me give you an illustration from a financial standpoint of what that really works out to be. Here it goes. If you and I owe $3,900 on our visa, $3,900, and all I do is pay the minimum balance every month, what that will result in is that I will, it will take me 37 years to pay it off. And by the end of that time, I will have paid $10,931. You see, this is what's called in the business world, the power of compound interest. And if you don't know what that is, just trust me for a minute. Here's how it works. It is great for you if you're investing and it will bite you in the butt if you're doing payments. It cuts and it helps both ways. Compound interest. It's not the smartest financial way to purchase items. By the way, did you know that the average car dealer makes 10 times more when we buy a car with payments and on credit than if we pay cash? Their profit margin is 10 times more. Why do you think they're pushing us to buy on credit? Why do you think they're saying, ah, the payments are no big deal? Because they're making a killing on us. And of course, you know how it goes in our country. What's the motto in our country? You are what you drive. You are what you drive, right? It's really not true. I mean, I realize we like cars in America. We guys, we like cars because it makes us look macho and makes us feel cool. Women like cars because it's like a big purse, you know, more stuff to put things in, you know, right? But you can have some friends. You can have George and Jill and they have the nicest 2014 brand new sedan model of whatever. And you see them come up in their brand new car and you're like, "Woo, George and Jill. George and Jill are broke. They're broke. I don't care what they're driving. It's not smart. Now. As hard as these first three have been to digest, I'm going to tell you in advance, number four is by far the hardest one. It's the hardest one to swallow. Here's what it says. Uh, uh, credit and debt spending enslaves us to, the, to those we owe money to. It undermines joy and creates stress. It is financially unwise. And the Bible says that buying things on credit potentially unmasks character flaws. I buy on credit, I carry debt because I lack contentment. I'm unable to enjoy life the way God has dealt its hand to me, so I must go out and buy something. That's not a financial issue, that's a character issue. I buy on credit, I carry debt because I covet what you have. I like your house and I like your furniture. And I like your brand new phone and I like your car and I'm unable to appreciate it without owning it myself. So I go out and I get it for myself. That is not a financial issue. That is a spiritual issue. I buy on credit and I carry debt because I lack self-control. If any one of us is drinking too much, you have a self-control issue. If we have a friend or any one of us is out of is out of control in our sexuality, you got a control issue. If you're in the lobby and you're cussing and swearing, you have a self-control issue. And I hope someone would say something to you. The financial area is just as 
the same thing. It's the same issue. It's a self-control issue. By the way, self-control is one of the fruit of the spirit. It's a fruit of the spirit, as is the last one. I buy on credit and I carry debt because I lack patience. I want what I want and I want it now. I mean, that's what my parents have in their living room. I want it. What we conveniently forget is it took them 35 years to gain that. You can't do that yet. You're brand new out of college. You can't do that yet. You're a new couple with new kids. You can't do that yet. You have not moved up in the company to earn enough money. You can't do that yet. At some point in time, we have to look ourselves in the mirror and be honest. How did it get to this point? What is it inside of me that is causing this desire to need and to want and to spend? And it's resulting in all this debt. What's going on in me? Let me help you understand something that happened to me that that might give you some perspective of really what I'm asking you to do. Okay, we could summarize it into this story. A while back, it must have been two, three years ago, I'm out driving my Mitsubishi. If you've ever seen my Mitsubishi, it's not that great of a car. It was really cool like 20 years ago, but it's not that great right now. So here I am driving my Mitsubishi. And as I'm driving, another guy whizzes by me, but he kind of whizzes by me, but slows down just as he's going by. He has a really nice, really fast, really new, really shiny, brand new sports car. Right. And as he's I could see him in in my rear view mirror, he's coming up and he comes to pass me. And as he's passing me, guys, know he gives me the stare. (laughs) Guys know how this is. Right. Well, basically, it's like, I got it. Look at what you're driving. I felt discouraged. I felt depressed. I felt horrible. What kind of a man am I? You know, then I kid you not. Two miles up the road, a cop had pulled him over for speeding. Now, I know it's not very godly, but it felt so good. And as I drove by, I kid you not, I just waved. Well, the cop's like, who is that guy? I don't know. Here's what I want you to understand. Here's what I want you to understand. You will have friends. You will have church people. You will have family members that will speed by you with nicer clothes and a nicer house and a nicer car. And nicer vacations. And I want you to know at some point in time, they're going to get pulled over by the debt police and it's going to suck. And you will drive right on by. And in the end, you will go further in life financially than they will. That's the point I'm trying to make. The Bible frowns on debt. Don't do it. Okay, I got it. Now, what do I do to fix it? Because, okay, I'm, I'm in this mess, okay? Let me give you three suggestions, okay? Write these down. Number one is you have to eliminate undisciplined spending. You have to eliminate undisciplined spending. Now, Proverbs 31, the first verse, there's a passage right at the end of Proverbs in, in chapter 31 that talks about the righteous woman, it says, or the woman of noble character. If you're a single guy, you want to go there and it says, this is the kind of girl you want to look for, right? And one of the things it says about this woman is this. She, speaking of this woman, goes and inspects a field. What is it saying? Before she buys a car, she looks at consumer reports. Before she does this, she makes sure it's, it's the right thing to do. She analyzes. She reads the, you know, the, the, the reviews on this that and the other she's being careful she's inspecting the field and then she buys it why does she do it why does she go through all this trouble because she wants to make sure her dealings are profitable profitable god doesn't want you just to be faithful he also wants you to be fruitful not just spiritually but also financially be smart with your money look at what proverbs 21 verse 20 says the wise have wealth and luxury but fools, we spend whatever we get. It's like, it's just like a, you know, it just slides right through our pocket. Burns a hole in our pocket. You have to get control and, and eliminate undisciplined spending. Now, I'm going to give you five ways we do that. Let me show you. Let's put it on the screen. The first one is impulsive spending. Impulsive spending. And by the way, let's just, as we go through, see if you can figure out which one you are. Okay. Impulsive spending. There's always one word that gets us with impulsive spending. By the way, impulsive spending is when you buy something you weren't planning to buy. But there's one word that gets us every single time. It's the word sale. Sale. It's on sale. Your wife or your husband leaves for the day or or they go out for a couple hours. See you, sweetie. I'm just going to go, you know, whatever. They come back. 
And they go, they come back with a juicer. Look what I bought. Why are you doing that? We don't juice. I know. But it was, it normally costs $375. But today, only today, I bought it for $175. I saved $200. No, you didn't. You spent $175. That word always gets us like a hook. They got us like, you know, there's some stores that always get us. You want to know the store that always gets me with impulsive spending? I can't help myself. Costco. Every time. This is what happens when we go to Costco. Sandy has a card. She has a list of things we're going to buy. By the way, do you know that when you take a list to the grocery store, your bill is between 30 and 35% lower? Do you know why? Because you're not doing impulsive spending. You don't have the cart. You're like, what do we need? Just grab some of that. You got the list. You might throw in some Oreo cookies, but you're spending a lot less if you know what you're looking for. Back to Costco. So Sandy's got the cart. She's got her list. Oh, no, not me. I'm hunting. You know, I'm going through the store. I'm looking for deals. There's deals everywhere. And eventually I find Sandy. Sandy, look what I found. A hundred pound bag of rice and a tub of jalapenos. It's only $19.99. We need this. Three years later, the jalapenos in the back of the fridge, they've turned blue, but we saved all kinds of money. No, we didn't. Compulsive or uh, 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 impulsive spending. The next one is more serious. Compulsive spending has a psychological angle to it. Here's what uh, it, compulsive spending is. It, it is an escape mechanism to help us deal with unmet needs. Here's how it works. I have pain in my heart. I'm discouraged in my life. I've experienced a loss. So what I do is I go out and I self-medicate and I shop. We ever done that? I've done that. Now, if you're compulsive at it, what you need to know is that there are solutions. There are people that can help you. But don't get into this habit of trying to medicate your pain through buying stuff. The next one I think is hilarious. You got some friends, you know, or you got a couple of family. What are we going to do? I'm bored. I know. Let's go shopping. Let's go shopping. Now, I'll tell you this. When Sandy and I are out on vacation, I love shopping. You know, go to Carmel and you go to all the shops and it's fun, knickknacks and this, that, or the other. The problem is if you're on, when you turn shopping into entertainment, if you're unable to shop, for the fun of it, without coming home with two or three bags, having spent $100, $200. you got a problem. It's a problem. You've now become a boredom, a boredom spender. The next one is hobby or special interest spending. Here's how it works. We all have hobbies, don't we? We all have some sort of hobby. We all have something that we sort of like. What happens for so many of us is we spend a disproportionate amount of money on our hobby. It can be anything. I wrote down some examples. It can be camera equipment. It can be computers. It can be Beanie Babies. You remember the craze with Beanie Babies? I loved it when people said, oh, no, I'm investing in Beanie Babies. <laughs> Restaurants. Some people are into music. I need 12,000 songs on my iPod. You know, there he is right there. Go to the prayer room. You need prayer, son. Okay. Baseball cards, shoes, watches, books, DVDs. I think it's hilarious. We have collections of DVDs. I think it's no problem. You have your favorite 30 movies, whatever. I think it's funny, though, when people have massive collection of DVDs. Because you always ask them, you know, what is this movie like? Oh, that one's sucky. Don't get that one. Well, did you buy it? Well, yeah, I bought it. Well, why do you have it? And I want to say to them, you know, there's this thing called Redbox. There's this thing called Netflix. You can watch it for a buck. And save yourself $29 because you're spending 30 bucks a pop now on a Blu-ray. See, at some point in time, you've got to connect the dots. You know, it can be any, it can be golf. I had this friend of mine. We were golfing. He showed me, he showed me, look at this new driver I got. It only cost me $275. This special driver will keep my ball in the fairway. And I said, no, it won't. You suck at golf. It doesn't matter what club you have. You're going into the water. Okay. <laughs> the next one is status spending. Status spending, that's keeping up with the Joneses. 
you know, that's buying things I really don't need with money I really don't have to impress people I really don't like. <laughs> now, let me ask you a question. Can, can you identify which one you are up on the screen? Better yet, can you identify what your spouse is on the screen? That's much easier, isn't it? Oh, no, I'm not up there, but I can, he is, you know. You want to know what the solution is for this? You want to know what the solution? It's very simple. You need to learn how to say no. No. I like it, but no. I can afford it, but no. No. That's the key word, okay? You get, now, we're going to actually practice saying it, okay? On the count of three, I want us all to say it. One, two, three. Okay. Now, we're actually going to apply it. I'm going to give you some statements, and you're going to say, see, right away, see, right now, oh, we're going to actually do something about it. I don't want to do this. What is he doing? You ready? I'm going to say something, and you are going to say it like you mean it. Ready? Here we go. Does every 12-year-old really need the latest iPhone? Thank you. Do I really need to buy a brand new car every three years? This one's for the guys. Do I really need a 70-inch flat-screen TV? Okay, I picked on the guys. How about the ladies? Okay, here we go for the ladies. Is it really necessary to have someone else do your nails twice a month? No. Can I... Can I just say something to the ladies about the nails? I have never, ever been in a group of guys, ever, and have one dude come run up. Hey, get a load of her nails. Did you see her nails? They're hot. They're hot. We don't really care. We re- I mean, we want you to look nice, but, you know, here's my point. And I'm kind of having a little fun with it, you know, and I'm doing this on purpose. You have to learn to say no. You have to learn. You got all, we all got our little quirks. But you can't say yes to everything. It's killing me. It's killing you. And it's not pleasing our Heavenly Father. We have got to eliminate undisciplined spending. Second thing, write this down. We need to grow in character and learn contentment. Grow in character, learn contentment. Philippians chapter 4, verse 12. Paul says, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or living in one. I want to talk to you about the highlighted words, and I'm going to start with the bottom. The word content is, is, is is me being able to enjoy life without needing more stuff. The ability to enjoy life without needing more things. What I'm going to say now may be the most important thing in the entire message. Listen very, very carefully. The financial problems that we have will not necessarily be solved with more money in our checkbook. They will be solved with more Jesus in our lives. If I could figure out a way to double your income, but you change none of your lifestyle habits, you change none of your contentment issues, you change none of your character issues, you change nothing of your spending habits, what you will end up having is twice as big a problem. This is not a financial issue. This is a spiritual issue. That's what contentment is. Ability to enjoy life with what I have without needing more. Now, interestingly enough, Paul says it's a secret. It's a secret. In other words, most people don't have it and they don't know how to get it. Now, here the good news is the first word that I've highlighted. The first word is that we can learn contentment. By the way, you do know that by nature we are discontented people. We are born discontented. It's called sin nature. The good news is we can learn contentment. I can learn. It's a learned behavior. Parents, can I just give you uh, encouragement? The best gift you can give your kids is to teach them contentment, to teach them the gifts they got this Christmas before they start looking ahead to next Christmas. Contentment. And they're not going to learn it by us just telling them. They're going to learn it by them watching us. Now, real quickly, how do I get contentment? How do I learn contentment? Three ways, real quick. First of all, stop comparing yourself to others. Stop wanting what other people have. By the way, you see it up on the screen there. The Bible calls that coveting. Coveting. Coveting is when I go to your house, see your stuff, 
and leave your house and I have to have what you have. I want what they have. So I go buy it. That's called coveting. And oh, by the way, in the parentheses, I've got references. Exodus chapter 20, verse 17. You do know what that is, right? That's the Ten Commandments. See, this isn't the pastor just pulling out some side note about finances for this series. No, coveting financial management is one of the top ten things God says, this is what you do to please me. Stop wanting what other people have. Enjoy what you have. Stop wanting it. By the way, it's not a sin to desire things. Please don't misunderstand me. You know, if you want to go out and get your favorite jersey from your favorite team, even though you got a dozen, you know, we all got our little things. Fine. Having desires isn't sinful. That's Buddhism, by the way. Buddhism says every desire you and I have sinful. And the goal of Buddhism is that you don't have any more desires about anything. Right. I've shaved my head. I'm putting on a, you know, a tunic. That's it. That's all I got. That's Buddhism. That's not Christianity. If you have something you're striving for, some, you know, kind of extravagant thing you want, God's not up there in heaven thinking, oh, what is he doing? That's not, no, you can want certain nice things. But again, you can't say yes to everything. Because now you're coming into a spiritual matter called coveting. Interestingly enough, I bet you many of you, the first service didn't know this. this. The Declaration of Independence, originally written, uh, or written by Thomas Jefferson, the original draft, the first draft, Man had the inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of what? Happiness. Happiness. That was not in the original. Did you know that? They had a different word. Originally, Thomas Jefferson wrote this, that we have the inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of possessions. That was the original draft. The committee working on the Declaration of Independence decided to change that But if we're honest with ourselves, we have not changed our thinking. Because so many of us just live to acquire. What's another way to learn contentment? Enjoy what you have. Enjoy what you have. Now, is there something nicer? Yeah. There's something nicer than my car. There's something nicer than your house. There's something nicer than the clothes. There's always someone that's got something nicer. But contentment is me being able to say, I enjoy what I have. I enjoy what I have. Realizing that life isn't a matter of possessions. Life isn't about things. By the way, that's almost exactly what Ecclesiastes 6, 9 says. Life isn't about things. In preparing to share with you, I came across this story of a woman in Southern California, very, very wealthy woman, multi, multi-millionaire, and uh, she took her life a while back. She committed suicide. And the person that was writing about her and about the funeral uh, mentioned that someone made a comment at her funeral. And this was the comment. It's such a shame. I don't understand. And then she made this comment. We've all heard this. They had so much to live for. They had so much to live for. And, And this individual commenting said this. No. That's wrong. She she had so much to live on. Not to live for. You see, this book says that my life, that your life is not based upon the accumulation of what we own. Can we enjoy those things? Yes. But that's not life. That's not why God created us and left us here on earth. There's so much more to life. And we're going to get into that. Talking about investing in things that outlive us. By the way, what is that? It's not furniture, it's not cars, it's not houses. It's the people sitting around you this morning. That's what life is about. It's a big deal. The the, the last thing is you need to learn to admire things without having to acquire them. I heard about this couple. They signed up for a Bible study and they went to this people's house and they had a gorgeous house and they went in. They had their small group Bible study. As they were leaving, they got in the car. The first thing they said is, did you see all that stuff? Did you see how gorgeous their home was? And the wife says, that furniture. Oh, my goodness. That's got to go back all the way to Louis the 14th. And the husband, without missing a beat, says, yeah, and ours is going back to Ikea on the 15th. Learn to see the stuff that your friends have 
that your family has without this desperate desire and need to have it for yourself. By the way, I, I love that verse of Proverbs 1430. Um, I don't have it in your study guide. Just listen. Here's what it says. Proverbs 1430. It is healthy to be content, but envy or coveting will eat you up. You know, when it comes to your health, what you eat matters. But what eats you matters just as much. If you are a person that is filled with bitterness and anger, if you're a person that's filled with unforgiveness, if you're a person that's filled with coveting and lack of contentment, I can guarantee you will be miserable in life and at some point in time, it will affect you physically. It'll affect you. This is not just a financial issue. It's an emotional issue. Last thing I want to share with you, let's wrap this up. You've got to fight to get out of debt. You've got to fight to get out of debt. I don't have all the verses up here, but Proverbs chapter six, six, the whole half part of the chapter is about credit spending. It's about accumulation of debt. It's about co-signing for people. It's got all these different things. It's about debt. It's about credit cards. And, and, and I don't have the, I have the verse just before I want to read to you. This is what the writer says of, of Proverbs. Allow no sleep to your eyes, no slumber to your eyelids. That's why I use the word fight. Do whatever you got to do. And then he kind of takes us on a curveball. What am I supposed to do about my debt? What am I supposed to do about my credit card bills? This is what I want you to do. Free yourself like the gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like the bird from a snare of the fowler. Now, what does that mean? I don't know what that means. The problem is we don't live in a land where you see gazelles just wandering around. When do we see gazelles? We see them on Discovery Channel. That's what we see. So think about what you've seen on Discovery Channel. You know, you got the gazelle seating there. And then you got that voiceover. There's the gazelle. Fastest mammal alive. Zero to 45 miles an hour in four leaps. Enjoying the grass and enjoying the sun of the plains of Africa. And then over on the edge of the plain, we've got the hungry cheetah. The cheetah's hungry, hasn't eaten in three weeks. He get closer to the gazelle. The gazelle's just eating. And eventually what? The gazelle notices the cheetah. What does he do? Crap! He starts running and he starts hopping and he starts weaving and he does anything and everything he can to make sure that cheetah does not get him. Why? Because if the cheetah gets him, it's over. It's over. And the writer of Proverbs says that is exactly what's going to happen with debt in your life. If you don't outrun it, if you don't fight it, if you don't figure out a way to get rid of it, at some point in time, it's going to get you. It's going to get you. And some of you already know what I'm talking about. How do I get out of debt? Last things. Let's put them up on the screen. You have to make the decision. This is not you taking notes and agreeing with the pastor. This is you understanding what your God has to say about debt spending. And you have to make a decision. I'm going to change how I'm using my money. I'm going to change the kinds of things I spend money on. The second thing is a commitment. My guess is that you didn't get in debt overnight. Here's the here's what you need to know. You're not going to get out of debt overnight. It's going to take perseverance. And by the way, verse six and seven. And after this one, it talks about another animal, the ant. And the ant doesn't make a lot of progress, but it keeps making slow progress and it keeps work. And that's what you're going to have to do with your debt. You're going to have to work and you're going to work and you got to stick with it. And the last thing is you need a plan. You need a plan. Look at your study guide. Even if you aren't writing down notes, the second page at the bottom. Here's just a couple quick things. You need to quit borrowing. You need to quit borrowing. The most practical thing some of us could do today is have some plastic surgery. Take your credit card out and cut it up. Stop spending. Stop borrowing. I don't know. I thought it was kind of cute what my title was this morning. Act your wage. If you don't have it, you can't spend it. It's just that simple. What should I do? Look at the next one. Use cash. 
By the way, if you only use cash, you will spend on average 18% less than if you have credit cards and anything else. 18% less. Now, I know what some people think of, well, I, I, you know, I don't like carrying a lot of cash around and it's convenient to use a credit card. I know it's convenient to use a card, but how about instead of using a credit card, how about just use a debit card? Use a debit card. But if you don't have it, you don't spend it. That's the principle. The next thing is start praying. Have you ever prayed about your finances? Dear God, please help me in this area. Dear God, please bless my finances. Dear God, please help me get out of debt. Then we go to the mailbox. We realize we've been approved for a new MasterCard. We're like, thank you, Jesus. No, that's not how it works. Pray about this, okay? The next thing is sell something. You know, what do you mean? Just go into your garage and look around. Just look at the golf clubs you never use, the weight equipment you never use, those DVDs that you don't like, put them on eBay, you know, the extra car, the motorcycle, the jet ski, you know, the cat, sell something, do something, make some extra money, okay, and put it towards your debt, okay? The next thing is work more, work more. You need to get a second job, couple hours, or you need to work a little bit of overtime, and whatever you make, put it towards that debt. I'm serious. You've got to fight to get out of debt. I am not suggesting an easy solution. You can't just make a decision. You have to make actions. The last one, I don't know if you've ever heard of a debt snowball. I don't really have the time to go over it. But all you really do is you line up everything you owe from least to most. And you go, of course, you have to pay at least the minimum payment on all of them. But you go to the top item, what you owe the least, and you aggressively go after that until it's paid off. And then you take what you were paying there and you go to the second item and you aggressively pay that off. And then you go to the third item. It's called a debt snowball. A lot of people smarter than I am in finances. It works. Here's what you got to do. Come up with a plan and stick to it and fight it. Let me wrap up by reading you a story. An angel appeared at a faculty meeting at a university and told the dean that in return for his unselfish service, he would be rewarded with his choice of wisdom, wealth, or beauty. Without hesitation, the dean selected wisdom. It's done, the angel said. And then he disappeared into a cloud of smoke. All the other members of the faculty stared at the dean with amazement. Finally, one of them whispered, now that you have infinite wisdom, say something. The dean looked at them and said, I should have taken the money. No, you shouldn't have. No, you shouldn't have. If there's one thing I want, and I've been praying for this congregation, is you will walk out of here with God's wisdom on your spending. Here's how we're going to end. I'm going to have the band come up, and here's what I'm going to have you do. I'm going to give you 60 to 90 seconds of quiet. I don't want you to get up. I don't want you to go to the bathroom. If you've held it for 30 minutes, you're going to hold it for another minute. Okay? And I just want you to be quiet. And I just want you to think. I want to give you 60 seconds of quiet. I want you to think about your spending. I want you to think about your finances. I want you to think about what does God want me to do with what I've heard today. 60 seconds of quiet. And then I'll close in prayer.
Dear Heavenly Father, this morning we want to collectively say to you we're sorry. It's taken just 35 minutes to look at some verses in your word to realize how off we are in this area. How our spending has not always pleased you. How our attitudes about things and about possessions has not been pleasing to you as someone who calls himself a Christ follower. Father, we've started to realize that there are some financial issues there, but more than anything else, these are spiritual issues. Father, we're committed to make some changes. We're committed to turn this around. Father, I know that you've spoken to so many of us today, and I pray that you would encourage, that you would challenge, that you would help us persevere to make difficult decisions and to say no. We had fun with that, but it's such an important word to say when it comes to our finances because we don't have unlimited resources and we ought not to spend money that we don't have. Heavenly Father, I... I want to especially pray for those that are here this morning in debt and it's not their fault. That happens to some of us, Father. They got a major emergency in their life a couple years ago and it cost a lot of money and they can't get out from underneath it. They found themselves for a short period of time in their life without health insurance and they had some surgery that they weren't expecting and before they know it, they got thousands of dollars in bills. They got caught in this whole mess with the housing and the the downturning economy and they didn't have work for a chunk of time. And Father, for some of our brothers and sisters in Christ, our friends, they're in debt here and it's not really their fault. I just, Father, I want to pray that you would encourage them. I want to pray that you allow them to see a light at the end of the tunnel. I pray that you would help them out financially. Father, give them a break. But Father, for the rest of us that got into debt because we spent and we spent and we spent, help us make some changes. Speak to our hearts in a way that affects our pocketbooks. We love you and we again thank you for your word and how practical it is. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. It's our hope that today's podcast has enriched your life and answered questions you may have had. If you'd like more information about what was said in this podcast or about Bay Hills Community Church, you can reach us on the Internet at www.bayhills.net. Bay Hills, located in El Sobrante, California, is radically committed to reaching the unchurched in the Bay Area and to developing believers into fully devoted followers of Christ. Thanks again for listening.